The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. 1 John chapter 5. And I want to I read for us the whole portion. I want to recap what we looked at three weeks ago. And by God's grace, we'll conclude our letter this morning. So I'll read from 1 John chapter 5 from verse 13. John writes, and he just says this again. He says this a number of times throughout this letter. He says, I write these things to you who... We've studied the context. We know that this is a church that, that John has, has longed to, to see prosper, to see grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also a church that has been under attack by false teachers. Maybe not directly. Maybe they weren't coming into the building on a Sunday morning or as often as the church met. But they were surely targeting fellow these fellow Christians, these fellow believers, they were targeting the community. And they certainly had an influence. So much so that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took up the pen and wrote this letter. And 2,000 years later, we as the Christian church still benefit from God's word through this letter. So he says once again, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He goes on and he says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. If we ask anything to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked for. What an assurance. Just to know we can go to the Lord and if we're praying according to His will, He answers us. Yet there's something John mentions further on, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a beautiful portion and I I love how John ends on that note. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourself from a worship that distracts you from true worship. From pursuing Christ, loving Christ, worshipping God. Now friends, John has taught us nothing short when it comes to the assurance of our salvation. If you have been walking with us in this journey through 1 John, and there are still some things that you are unsure of, that you at times still feel as if your salvation is not complete, 
then you need to go back to this letter. Because this letter does give us that assurance. It does give us that hope. And it does remind us that when you feel that which isn't true, it doesn't mean that it's true. The truth is God's word. John just said it again. Jesus Christ is true. He's the truth. And so if we want to worship Him, we need to worship Him in truth. And we need to have a right understanding of what is the truth. Not a truth, but the biblical truth. Revealed in God's Word. Not revealed as a later revelation, but the revelation that we have in front of us this morning. See, Joseph Smith came hundreds of years later, doing the same thing the Gnostics were doing in John's day. And that is deceiving God's people with a false gospel, proclaiming a false Christ, which is idol worship. It's, it's, it's gross sin. And somehow we're okay with it. Flying back, from Atlanta, we had a direct flight back to South Africa. And there was, I've never seen so many Mormons gathered together in my life. I'll tell you that much. But there was this huge group of, of, of young Mormon missionaries. Uh, and that's their task, by the way, if you didn't know this. In order to kind of work your way up to heaven, level seven, um, you need to do at least two years of mission work and God has to call you to this place and sadly God has called a whole bunch of them to Harare Zimbabwe and I thought your Lord be with the church of Harare and give them patience give them patience to be willing to engage um, with these with these Mormons be willing to engage with them as much as you are willing to engage with unbelievers. Because Christian Church, I tell you this, this morning, we want to be assured of our salvation. We want to have the comfort of truth. And we're okay with it just being us. We are okay with the comfort of knowing that I belong to God. Not so much my neighbor. Not so much my brother sitting behind me or in front of me in the pew. I want to be okay. My dear friends, I think part of having the assurance of your salvation is ensuring fellow brothers and sisters of their salvation. Colossians chapter 3 tells us, admonish one another. It means counsel one another. Take the time to listen. We're quick to speak and say, but those ideas are trash. You need to do this and that. Admonish one another. Therefore, as we come to this closing portion... John just once again reminds us of these truths. Truths that we need as well as those around us need. And I want to recap. We looked at two of them before I left. Um, firstly, John assures us that we can know we have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life. Man, that is fundamental. I, I come from a church background where... I was taught you can lose your salvation. Do you know how terrifying that is? Do you know how terrifying it is to grow up thinking, whatever I do, 
you know, it disqualifies me. And every time I pray, I need to first ask the Lord into my heart before I, I, I could think He would listen to me. Man, that is not a good gospel. The gospel says that when Christ has made us new, the old is gone. It can't come back. The old cannot be resurrected. When Christ saves us, we have eternal life. And I love this. I love how John kind of sets this up for us twice in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 4, and here again. John says, I write these things that you may know. That you may know what? That you may know the name of the Son of God. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. How are we saved? One name under heaven. One name under heaven by which you are saved. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone. He gives us assurance. You see... If you are here this morning and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then I want to assure you, as God's Word is assuring you, you are saved. You are the possession of Jesus Christ. You are His and He is yours. But eternal life isn't something we mystically move into. I think I stressed this three weeks ago. A lot of us might come from a background where we assume eternal life starts when I shut my eyes. You know, when I breathe my last here on earth, then I move on into eternal life. Scripture teaches us clearly that once the moment we are saved, we experience this new life. We experience eternal life. It is a spiritual life. Yes, you will die. Don't worry. Maybe you die a peaceful death. Maybe you die like the martyrs died. But spiritually, brother, sister, you are more alive than what you've ever been through the grace of God. Jesus said this in John 10 verse 28 through 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wow. I used to believe really like God and Satan are wrestling for me. And and, and if God loses focus for a moment, I fall out of salvation. That is a scary theology. That is a scary theology. We move on secondly. Again, I'm just recapping. Secondly, John tells us we can have the assurance not just of eternal life, but that God actually answers our prayers, that God hears us, that God listens to us. But I do want to interject and say, my dear brother, there are times in your life where God will not listen to your prayer. Come and see me afterwards, we'll chat. When you do not live with your wife in an understanding way, God won't listen to you. God will not bless you for living in such sin. It's so clear in Peter's letter. We tend to assume that it's grace. 
God is gracious. I've sinned, but He'll still grant me the blessing I've asked for. This is not what John says. John says, when you pray according to His will, and guess what, my brother and sister? Sadly, you will not pray according to God's will when you live in sin. Because when you live in sin, you are praying the will of the unholy trinity, the me, myself, and I. So John, once again, wants to assure us who God listens to and when He listens. Ian Bounds once wrote, Nothing is well done without prayer for the simple reason that it leaves God out of the account. When you want to embark, I mean, this whole trip to the States, it's not just something you, you jump into and say, let's do this. If you as a family decide you want to move and buy a new house, again, it's not just something you jump and do. We want to trust the Lord's hand. When you want to change jobs, when you want to change careers, when you want to start a family, a lot of people just think, I'm married, let's start a family. God's going to bless us. What is your, your motive? What is your desire? Are you going to please God? Are you going to worship God in this? If not, it's idol worship. Therefore, John, just in this portion, from verse 14 to 17, John gives us a third requirement for, for, for when we pray. Now, let me just recap, because there's two, <clears throat> there's two before this. In 1 John 3, verse 22, John writes to us concerning prayer. This is what he says. God answers our prayers, firstly, when we are keeping His commandments. If you want God to answer your prayer, you need to obey Him. Secondly, not just by keeping His command, but also doing the things that please Him. You say, but that's obeying His commands. My dear friends, we're given clear commands in Scripture of what we need to do and how we need to live. But we can also please God in our behavior, in our speech, in the way we treat those around us. So those are the first two requirements John gives us earlier. But he gives us a third one here. And he says, if you want God to answer you, then you need to ask according to His will. If you're not praying according to the will of God, I don't know what you're doing. It's right for us to pray according to God's will. It's wise for us to pray according to God's will. God knows what is best. A lot of times, I think, as, as believers, we want to bargain with God. Like, Come on, Lord, meet me halfway here. Hear me out. No. Pray according to His will, not your will. He knows what's best. He has seen what is best. And you know what? Not, does he, not only does He know what is best, He also wants what is the best for you. Man, that sounds so prosperous. But it's true. Romans 8 tells us that He wants us to glorify Him. But not only that, He does all things for His glory and for our good. Man, I tell you what, the moment you start praying God's will, He's showing you His good that is meant for you. So keep in mind that God's will can, and a lot of the time, is 
different from your will. It's different from what you want. But I believe this. It is always better than what you want. God's will is always better. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Your prayer isn't just about you. It's not just about those around you. It's about God. And therefore in verse 16 and 17, John shows us, which is perhaps one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. John shows us that there's a time when you can pray and it'll mean nothing. It'll mean nothing. He comes to the issue of intercession. What it looks like to pray for a brother or sister who's living in sin. I think we want to run to Matthew 18 very quickly and just rebuke and discipline a Christian who's in sin. You're wrong. Change. Repent. Repent and live. But here, John shows us, no, no. When a brother or a sister is caught in sin, pray for them. Pray with them. Yes, there's a space for Matthew 18. Yes, you go to your brother with your concern. And when they do not you know, change, when they do not repent, then you bring a second brother or sister with you and you engage once again. But you do that with much prayer. And then there's a third time if there's no repentance where we as a church not only go to such a brother and sister, but we go to them with much prayer. This, this whole process is about prayer for restoration. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. It's not just about discipline and cast out. The context of Matthew 18 is to restore fellow brothers and sisters. So John shows us when someone is caught in sin, pray with them. But there is a sin you can be caught in as an unbeliever. John says this from verse 16. He says, If anyone sees a brother committing sin not leading to death he shall ask God and he will give him life now move down he goes on to say to those who commit sins that do not lead to death there is sin that leads to death and I do not say that one should pray for that there is sin that leads to death we've studied this in Mark's gospel what is the unforgivable sin People assume it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, taking the Lord's name in vain. But we've all done that. We've all done that. He said, I've never done that verbally. We have all done that. We have all denied His supremacy at one point or another in our lives. Whether we verbally said it, whether we thought it, we certainly acted it. It's not, it's not using the Lord's name in vain. Let's just clarify it is, however, denying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's to hear the whole account of the gospel and say, this is nonsense. This is not true. I do not believe. I do not want to believe. John says, I do not say pray for such a one. He doesn't say don't pray. He's saying, well, you can pray, but... Um, that's a sin that leads to death. What does John tell us in his gospel when he quotes Jesus? If you do not believe, what are you? Already condemned. 
If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you stand already condemned. What is the promise in Romans 8 verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? If you're not in Christ Jesus, then you have condemnation weighing you down, man. Now unless you pursue this sin, I 100% believe that Christ can save you. But if you pursue this sin, John says, there's no way. This is the unforgivable sin. This is it. So, having gone through that in summary, by the way, that was summary. We have three more truths this morning for us to consider. Three more truths for us to consider. This gives us the assurance that you and I belong to God. We can know that we have overcome the sting of sin. Look at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Again, this is such a great assurance. Here we have three powerful affirmations that assure us once again that that we have victory over sin, that we can overcome sin, that in Christ sin has already been overcome. In our study, our Bible study, Respectable Sins, what is one of the key things we've learned? The only sin you can overcome is forgiven sin. The sin Jesus died for. That's how we overcome sin. So, firstly, one of the first powerful affirmations is this. We know that the person born of God cannot keep on sinning. Meaning, sin is not a pattern of your life. You're not pursuing sin. That you are pursuing a life of purity. Not a life of perfection, by the way. There's a difference. Perfection in this life? Please, write that off. We're not going to get it. In no way. We can become better at sinning. Tell you that much. But no, our pursuit as Christians is to pursue holiness, is to pursue purity. And in this way, we overcome sin through Christ. John says, we who are born of God keep His commands. We walk in the same way that Christ walked. We in this way overcome the world. That is pretty unique, right? Friends, this is how we overcome the sting of sin. There's a second affirmation. Look in the verse, verse 18. John says, The one who is born of God protects him. This says that God is my shelter. I do not keep myself from sin. God keeps me from sin. Jesus keeps me. In John 17, 12, Jesus prays, While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that scripture may be fulfilled. Why did Judas fall away? That was his life, man. That was his life. Think about it.
It's sad. I like the name Judas. But because of the history, I'm not naming my sons Judas. But this is the powerful affirmation. God protects us. God keeps us from the sting of sin. First uh, Peter 1 verse 5. You are, he writes to Christians who are running for their lives. Imagine this. Christians who are running for their lives. He says this, 1 Peter 1 verse 5. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, context. Do you think when the Christians read this, they were going, Oh hey, he means our physical protection. Can I tell you something? It doesn't mean that at all. They were being hunted like dogs, man. And once they were caught, once they were taken captive, they weren't thrown in prison cells and, and, and fed crumbs. When we read church history, they died some of the most unimaginable, most brutal deaths. So Peter is not talking about your physical protection. When you go home at night and you hear something outside in the garden and you start quoting 1 Peter 1 verse 5, that's not what it means. It's talking about a spiritual protection. In fact, he says, you are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That talks about glorification. It talks about the final working of God in your life. And so, Jesus, by His work on the cross, obtains your salvation. And now, by His work in heaven, He maintains your salvation. Your salvation doesn't fall away. It doesn't degrade. Christ is working. Philippians 1 verse 6. Now, there's a third assurance in this one verse. And it's this, the devil does not touch me. Now please don't go home with a prayer flag and through your house chant, the devil doesn't touch me, the devil doesn't touch me. Alright? Again, there's a context. John is telling us as believers, the assurance is this, in overcoming our sin, we have been born of God. Number one. Number two. God protects us. Number three, the evil one does not touch him. Meaning he doesn't touch my life. Meaning he cannot do anything to me spiritually because of what Christ has already overcome for me spiritually. Can I be tormented by demons and Satan? I believe as a Christian you can be. And I believe as a Christian you should consider that warning. Somewhere right now, someone is trying to bind Satan. And it's a sad state of affair. Because there's no way you can bind Satan at this church and at this church. He's like, where must I be bound? Like, should I go there? We can't do that. Revelation says there will be a time when Satan is bound. I'll tell you that much. Christians didn't bind him. Satan and his demons are more powerful than what you can imagine. A spiritual warfare is, is, is that, that's what it is. It's warfare. 
Don't go out looking for trouble. Let me just say that. But John once again tells us as a Christian, Satan cannot claw at you and rip you away from God. John, uh, Job's life is a testimony of this. When we read the account and Satan comes and there's dialogue with God, what does God tell him? Consider my servant Job. He says, you can do anything. But what? Do not touch his life. You can't do that. You can't touch his life. And just by the way, if you've read the book of Job, consider what happens to Job's wife. Have you seen? It's pretty crazy what happens to her, huh? Nothing. Nothing. So, what an assurance it is to have. That for me as a Christian, I am kept safe in the hand of God. He protects me. Even though I might still be caught in sin and at times be pursuing a pattern of sin, I have a protector who is the Son of God. And this is Christ's promise. John 10 verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. That is your hope, dear friends. Fourthly, Here's an assurance we can have. And that is, we can know that our life is in God. Verse 19, our life is in Him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's fitting for John to repeat this. He has said it numerous times that there is a difference between the Christian and those who are in the world who are of the world. The whole world rests on the power of the evil one. And we may be tempted to think that the world shows promise. We're tempted to think at times that there is hope for humanity. Tell you what, the world is a slave to its master. The world is a slave to its master. And when I talk about the world, dear friends, in the context here, it's not creation. It's the system we live in. Believers in Jesus, however, can know that we have our place safely in Him. The NIV translates, we know that we are children of God. Meaning spiritual death has no claim on you. Sin cannot dominate you and the evil one cannot harm you. But listen, it's a great comfort to have this assurance. But tragedy, on the other hand, Those caught up in the lies and the senselessness of this world system are controlled and captivated by the power and the authority of Satan himself. Did you get that? And just as a way of illustration, one of the things that just give us this truth and give us this reality is we get to look at Hollywood and we get to see what it creates we get to see what it it makes right we get to see what it portrays and it shows off and we want to say look it's America no it's the world you watch television you watch your Netflix you watch whatever you want and you'll see how progressive 
and how evil and how dangerous it is. How things are being promoted and made as if it is natural. Blasphemy. Relationships that are against the will of God. It's all being portrayed. It's all being sold. It's all being published. It's all being advertised. And guess what? The world wants more and more of it. Now when you as a Christian put your foot in that ocean, in that lake, then guess what? It'll hold you captive. It'll draw you in. We have a conflict with the world. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 to 4 tells us that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. Matthew 13 tells us that he snatches the word of God from human hearts. Matthew 24 verse 24 tells us that he deceives by miraculous wonders and signs. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, again we looked at this and we saw that Satan entices people through fleshly desires and fleshly pride. And guess what? Satan has the world in his pocket. So I'm going to change the world. Witness to your neighbor. <laughs> Let's start there. Witness to your, your neighbor. The world doesn't belong to the Christian. And as Christian, you do not belong to the world. We're in a global conflict with an enemy that influences whole cultures, societies, finances, and even governments. He hates who we are and what we are trying to accomplish. Therefore, this requires us to be aware of the time of war we are in, fellow believer. We look at our, our physical lives, and our physical lives may be comfortable. But I tell you something, there's something happening that you're not aware of. And that is that the spiritual battle continues, whether you're part of it or not. Our friends, our families are being influenced by Satan's schemes. And here's the thing, we as Christians have the privilege to share the good news that can free them from this darkness. But you need to step outside your comfort zone. You need to engage the conversation. You need to plead with your loved ones. But know this, as we move forward, we are children of God. A God who is in us and who is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Now lastly, we can know what the truth is. We can know what the truth is. Verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John ends the same way he started. He starts this letter by saying, That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify it to you and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Just as he starts, John closes this letter. He points us to Jesus. He points us to the truth. And here's the thing. Jesus gives us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Apart from Christ giving us this grace. If you read Ephesians, we studied Ephesians not too long ago. The same idea is presented in Ephesians. That, that as we grow in our salvation, we, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to us more and more. Not because it's new revelation, it's because we start to understand it better. We start to fathom His truth. We start to wrestle with His truth. Hear the words of Jesus in Luke 10, 22. He says, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the, the Son desires to reveal Him. So there's something unique here. Unless Christ and the Father reveal themselves to you, then you cannot have an understanding of who Christ is in the real sense. You can have book knowledge about Him, but that's as far as it goes. Unless Jesus reveals Himself to you, you cannot engage. You cannot have union with Him. But because we have union with Christ as believers, we understand the truth of the Gospel. We are safe from the claws of the evil one. We know the Father. We know that we abide in His Son, Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. If there is a true God, it means there are false gods also. If there's a true God, because why must we be so distinct? It means there are false gods also. And John provides a simple but perfect complement to verse 20. And he says, little children, therefore... Guard yourselves from idols. See, those who claim to be Christians but do not believe the truth concerning Jesus. They, they do not live a life that is righteous by obeying God's command. They do not love others who are in danger of idol worship. This, this concept itself is an idol religion. Because it creates a worship of a false god. A religion that, that man has made up for the simple pleasure of man. Because there's no conviction in this religion. This religion tells me it is okay to have a relationship with someone I'm not supposed to be having a relationship with. This religion tells me it's okay to be intimate with as many people as I desire. Because that's what love is. Dear friends, the world's religion is teaching us and is teaching our children that sin is okay. 
It's okay. It's teaching us sin isn't sin. That sometimes sin is just a problem. It's teaching us that the way you see sin is a misunderstanding. That is the gospel in the world. I saw a clip once again. Man, I'm going to name names. Creflo Dollar was having an interview with, with, um, with another, or with an with a interviewer. And he was asking him, I see in the States there's a movement of how you know, the black churches are accepting LGBTQ. How do you see that happening? You know what his answer was? He says, it's okay. I think many churches just have a false understanding of what the LGBTQ is. The people don't understand what gay is like. He's saying the church has a problem. That when a church is true, when a church is pursuing holy living, righteous living, there's a problem with the church. There's a problem with the gospel that that church proclaims. My dear friends, no, the problem is sinful hearts. The problem is people who are being deceived and, and, and pursuing that deception. God's word says, keep yourself safe from idols. John Calvin said, it is man's nature. Man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Meaning, as much as we can and how often we can, we are coming up with new forms of idols in our lives. People worship their children. People worship their careers. People are worshipping everything that, that appeals to them except Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because Jesus doesn't look anything like the world and you are in love with the world. You're in love with, with, with what it's selling. I've had so many conversations with believers about what they watch and I say, how can you watch that? That is degrading. That is, that is nonsense. That is... That is nothing what a Christian should be involved in. No, you're just a little uptight. You need to lower your standards. Lower the standard. If you lower the standard, it's no longer truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. And you're either pursuing Him or something else. Whether it's with your eyes, with your mouth, with your heart, with your mind. You're either worshipping Him or it's something else. And John says, watch out. Keep yourself from these things. We always assume, you know, that when we get caught in idolatry, it's something ugly. That's gross. Idolatry is not, yeah. But it's not. The object of idolatry can be something good, something beautiful. The issue is we take this good thing and we turn this good thing into a God thing. That is idolatry. That's when it becomes sin. That's when it becomes bad. Listen, idolatry is anything you love, enjoy and pursue more than God. That is idolatry. And I think some of us need to hear this. I think some of us are, 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 are living... With, with an, a sense of ignorance. Look at your time spent. Look at your resources spent. 
Where does it go? And if those things are outweighing Jesus, you might have an idol. And you're going to have to step back and reevaluate what kind of life you are living in the, in the presence of the true Jesus Christ. You see, idols, this is what idols like to do. Idols say, we are true when God says only Christ is true. Idols say they will give life when God says only Christ gives eternal life. Idols promise, but they cannot deliver. Where God says Christ both provides and delivers. That's why John says, guard yourself from idols, from the power of idols, from the control, the comfort, the approval, position, applause, and pleasure. Because you may soon be worshipping these things. And the sad thing is, your heart will never be satisfied with idols. Won't be. So you'll keep on moving from one thing to the other. From one thing to the other. When Christ alone can truly and eternally satisfy you. You need to, I think, all of us as a practice, we need to be able to do this. I think you need to sit down, consider what you have, that which is tangible, and ask yourself, will I be okay? Will I still love Jesus as much as I love Jesus right now when I lose all these things? I had a conversation with someone about this the other day. You know what they said to me? And I appreciate it so much. They said, no. No. This is an area the Lord needs to work because I'm not okay with losing anything. I said, brother, you're right. Your heart needs to change. Your heart needs to really change. You see, Jesus said in John 4, 14, whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. When you get to the place where you're okay with just Jesus, your life is removed from all idols. When you're okay with with what Jesus provides and with how he provides it, your life is free from idols. And listen, you can have this awareness with, with certainty. And when you have this certainty, guess what happens? You no longer doubt your salvation. You no longer doubt your salvation. And the promises of God become more and more real to you. I tell you what, man. What the world and idols promise, they can never provide. Don't even be curious. And don't come with the YOLO nonsense. I'm telling you now, don't even be curious to think what you can get out of it. Jesus is the true God and He is eternal life. And on this truth, you can stand and stake your eternal destiny on this one truth. And once you do that, dear friends, His Word will assure you all the more and His Spirit will assure you forevermore. Let's pray.
Christ Jesus, our true and living God. We look at these words that, that John has for us to consider. Words that have been written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Words that have been given to us to consider, to live by, to be challenged by, to be convicted by, to be encouraged by, to be conformed by. And so as we consider these truths once again, I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would create an awareness in our heart when we are moving toward idolatry or when we start pursuing the world more than pursuing Christ-likeness. I pray that we as families would become more convicted in our time of devotion. I pray that we would, as families, pursue holiness, that we would be admonishing each other constantly, and that that devotion would spring out to those around us, and that it would flow into this church, that as a people we share the conviction of truth, that we are encouraging each other away from idolatry, away from what the world promises, towards the beauty and the holiness of our Savior. So Jesus Christ, we pray now and ask that you would give us the grace and the mercy to pursue a life of holiness in your presence. We ask it in your name. Amen.